0: To our Tignum thoughtcast where we get together with our experts and our clients and we dig a little deeper into one of our Tignum thoughts. And I'm super honored today cuz I'm sitting here with one of my favorite clients, Voss Narasimhan. He's so cool, the CEO of Novartis that everyone only knows him by his first name, Voss. In fact, I don't think I've ever called you by your last name, Voss, which is even funnier. You're like Prince or Madonna or Share, like you're just a one-name guy. So I really appreciate you coming and talking to us um, because we're kind of in this transformation of the future of work and you're so deep into reimagining medicine. And when you think about reimagining medicine, well, we also need to reimagine us ourselves as human beings, as the people that are going to be the problem solvers. And that means we have to reimagine work and COVID has really kind of launched us into that. And I know that you at Novartis, you as the leader of Novartis, you were one of the earliest adapters into this idea of distributed work, and you guys started your distributed work with responsibility. Like, what motivated you to be such an early adapter to that?
1: First, Scott, it's great to be here. Uh, Tignum, one of my favorite uh, companies in the world, and of course, Scott's been my, my coach now for a decade, and it's always great, great to talk on. Um, You know, on distributed work, I think what we realized early on in the pandemic is that this was perhaps going to be the future. And we saw how quickly our organization adapted to working, you know, through technology, 110,000 people going virtual. We saw that that people suddenly were trying to find new ways to adapt to this uh, highly disrupted world. And we thought, well, should we take advantage of this and give people the freedom to define how they want to work um, in the future? And make that a permanent change, knowing that we haven't got it figured out. And we don't have it figured out. And we still are running lots of experiments, collecting a lot, a lot of data. But our hope is as we get out of the pandemic, we can retain the good parts about virtual working and maybe, you know, understand better where are the time what are the times we need to be face to face and working together.
0: Yeah, I, I like the idea, the mindset that we don't have all the answers, but that doesn't mean we can't move forward. And uh, we're going to keep figuring this out and solving what this really means and how to do it most effectively. And we're going to fail. And that's okay. And I I love that about your personality, that you're always vulnerable enough to be able to do that and and openly share it with everyone, which is great. So have there been any failures that you've had as you've tried to adapt to working at home? Oh, I tell you, Scott, this has been, as you know, such a journey for for
1: me. When I first started, and it, we're roughly at about the one-year anniversary from my last business trip, um, you know, I, I started working at home. I didn't know how to set up the desk. I didn't know how to set up the the screen, the chair. And I ended up kind of putting myself in a terrible working position and uh, I'm getting a pinched nerve in my neck. I couldn't figure out like a daily rhythm that made sense for me. I, you know, I had such a well-tuned approach to mindset, movement, nutrition, and recovery for my life that was moving around the world and, uh, and you know, traveling 50% of the time, suddenly being at home all the time. I, it took me, I think, almost four or five months and still adapting uh, to find a rhythm that that made sense, experimenting uh, with wake-up times, exercise, what I would do in the morning, when I would meditate, not feeling guilty that I needed to meditate, even meditate more than I was in the in the past, uh, adjusting diet. I mean, it was just really interesting to see how, when I reflect back, how many adjustments, how many different things I tried as I tried to find a rhythm of running Novartis uh, from my son's bedroom.
0: (laughs) Yeah. We were laughing about with all the changes. The one thing that hasn't changed is you're still in size bedroom. So I think that's hilarious. Um, But it is funny. You mentioned the word guilt. And I, and I think that, in our work and coaching and helping clients. And we hear that so often. I mean, here we have this concept of distributed work where you have tons of freedom. I can choose where I want to work in many ways. In many days, I can choose when I want to work. And the only real kind of must have is I have to deliver the results. I have to deliver on what I promised and be responsible for that. But yet with all this freedom, it is funny how the human brain creates all this guilt Tell me about kind of the guilt that you had and how you've worked through that.
1: It's interesting because I think it, you know the guilt comes from a good place for you know, most people, which is this passion to want to do a good job, feeling a deep commitment to the mission of our company. I'm sure it's the case in, in other companies as well, uh, and then and then really wanting to, to show that through activity. Um, but as 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 we know, and as you and I've discussed so many times, it's a really about impact. It's not about activity. It's not about being. Uh, on your computer for a certain number of hours or cleaning your inbox or attending a lot of conference calls is about the impact you have. And I I think initially when you you had so many of the normal ways you engaged in work taken away, I think the first instinct was, all right, well, I have to to do something. So I'm just going to be really active. And that created this kind of complex of being active and then being guilty when you're not active instead of asking, okay, how do I really have impact? In my role, I have impact by having energy and multiplying the energy in the organization. And if that means I need to, to put in the calendar a lunch break, I'm going to put it in. For the first time, actually, the, the COVID pandemic has put made me put a one-hour lunch break with a meditation break in my calendar. And I and I stick to it. Um, put more boundaries on what I'm going to be online and, and offline, which, again, are things I hadn't done uh, in the past. And I actually saw then my impact going up, my energy going up. And that is, is really what I bring to, to Novartis. That's my role, the chief energy multiplier for the company. Um, and so that's how I work through it. But it, it's I can understand where people are coming from at the moment, wanting to feel like they're more active in that activity, um, making them feel like they're having an impact where it may not.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes, you know, you create activity just to feel like you've done something. You know, you put something on your to-do list just to check it off so that you go, wow, I got something done. Because, you know, we're changing, we're changing our hats so many times in a day, having to deal with so many things that sometimes we lose track of the impact if we don't stop and reflect on the impact we make and be intentional about the impact we want to make. So that's one thing that I really always respect that you do so well. But you mentioned energy. Um, and we know that sitting in front of a computer all day is a real cognitive fatigue, right? We know that everything comes in one channel. It's so hard on our brain and we often get brain fog on top of juggling all the meetings and all the other demands that we have. Tell me how you start your day because I love your morning routine that kind of sets you up from success right out of the gate.
1: Yeah, You know, I, I haven't changed that, that get-up time, which is really around 5.30, always aiming to get seven to eight hours of, of sleep at night. And, I, you know, I always move right into um, – and I've added some adjustments, which I'll share as well. I exercise, you know, in the morning. I usually do uh, – as I age, I have to do more uh, activation exercises, and then I'm either – Lifting weights or spinning on my, my peloton. I've actually expanded the amount I exercise, probably almost 90 minutes now, because I find it such a, a great way to reset my nervous system, gives me time to reflect, gives me some time to do something um, for myself. Uh, and then I've got the, the five, uh, five minute gratitude app, five minute journal. And I, and I always start the day by, by reflecting on what are three things I'm grateful for. Um, what
0: are three things that uh, will make today terrific and who am I and just answering the question who I am? And starting the day like that and, and really becoming more disciplined about it during the COVID 19 pandemic has, has enabled me to, to, to start with energy, reset, and then come out each day with renewed uh, renewed sense of purpose. Yeah. I like the way you're, the way you've stuck to that. But really what I like is the way you've evolved it. It's changed. I know in the years that we've worked together, it's been a constant evolution of finding what's going to work for you today and not being married to what you think you should do or what you used to do, but actually listening to your body and paying attention to the benefits. And you brought up this thing about checking in with who am I and Tignum, the foundation of everything we do is around the concept of how important it is to purposefully create our self-image. And I know like the final sentence of your self-image statement, your to-be vision is, you know, I improve the world, I improve myself. And this constant kind of checking in of of how you're getting better. Do you find that working remotely has given you the freedom to actually invest more in yourself or do you find that it's taken that away?
1: I think initially uh, I, I didn't know what to do, frankly, with the additional time, and it's it's been a, it's been a, a process to learn how to take it now as an opportunity to inv- and definitely invest more in myself, invest more uh,
0: in uh, in my my own physical well being, the mental well being,
1: emotional well being, connection with family, and say this this is the circumstance we have. Let's accept it, and, and how can I bring the best of me uh, to use various settings and keep growing myself during during this period. And that's been, uh, I think it, it's really been um, something that's, I think, opened up more possibilities than I would have thought six months ago.
0: Yeah. And 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 again, it's the evolution, right? Like you said, you have to maybe go through the phases of not knowing what to do, feeling guilty for not doing what you wanted to do, and then exploring the freedom and then actually creating the most impact from that freedom. And, you know, when we were going to the office, we would always talk about the work-to-home transition, this transition to kind of turn our brain off from work and to turn it on to whatever we're going to encounter when we walk in the door, our family or whoever, so that we could be fully present, focused, really be the person we want to be at home, which is another critical energy giver, hopefully, for us. What does your work-to-home transition look like now that you're (laughs) working from home? (laughs)
1: This is an interesting one, and and this is one I'm still trying to to, to figure out, I have to say. I do have a hard stop on the calendar, and my assistant and I work together to really ensure, unless there's something really critical that
0: the day ends at, at 6.30, and I really try to put the electronic equipment away. I I still think, for me, what what I keep trying to reach for
1: and reach back to the devices is there's been this whole sensory part of this engagement part of my world where I would walk through a factory or meet a patient or engage with one of our people on the front lines or be in meetings with people. And that's all been kind of cut cut off, taken away. So those inputs are no longer there. And you get so much, just walking the floor of your factory gives you so many inputs you cannot create no matter how long you look at PowerPoint slides And I find myself to to then reach for the device again. I think it's because I'm longing for those inputs. I want that input. And so what I've I've had to do is find other things. So I've taken up watching more, uh, which I wasn't really doing at all, TV shows uh, with my sons and and watching a few of those, reading more books, um, trying to find other ways to engage that desire for curiosity and input that's not there anymore.
0: Yeah, it is interesting. You know, I know curiosity is built into the culture of Novartis. And I know that you, by nature, are also a curious guy. You're always learning. You're always telling me we're, we're exchanging books that we're reading and things that we're learning, which I think is is so crucial. But this how do you stay curious in a world where you're not always connected and how do you create those meaningful connections is going to be probably one of our biggest challenges in the future. So as you look forward to the future and you think that we'll probably have some hybrid, right, where you'll go to the office sometimes, work from home sometimes, or work from wherever, what do you see? What's your prediction of what the future of work may look like?
1: You know, looking at how our organization has experienced these, this last year, the data, my own experience, I, I think we are going to see people wanting to come back to the office. I think it'll be three days a week, you know, maybe some cases four, maybe in some cases two. To, um, But that's mostly, I think, for people to feel that social connection uh, and, and to feel, like you say, the ability to have empathy and compassion, those human elements of life that you lose when you're always at home. What I, what I think we're going to try to figure out and give our people even more insight on is maybe it's not the number of days. Maybe it's the type of interactions. Maybe it's for brainstorming meetings or innovation sessions and things like that where, or maybe when you need a lot of quiet time away from your, your family to be able to, to work, what are the moments that it makes sense to be uh, in our offices? And what are the moments that, uh, you know, you may find it best to be at home? I'm hoping we can get to that level of granularity. But all of our data suggests that um, that, that people want to go back somewhere between 60 and 70 of the, percent of the time. I think what will be really interesting is how does travel evolve? I, I think I've certainly learned there are many things that I used to travel even transatlantic for a day. I can do now very effectively from size bedroom. And uh, there are other things, though, that it really makes a difference to go there in person, have the the conversations on the sidelines, experience and learn. And that's going to make me a much more discerning traveler going forward. So it's going to be super interesting. We're not going to figure it out on day one. But I think the future of work is going to look very different, certainly a year from now. And we would have imagined uh, even 18 months ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, what you just did, which is great, is you connected strategical, purposeful thinking with freedom. So in the past, you didn't have the freedom for all these different options. But now that you have these options, can you actually be purposeful and strategic around the same concept that you said, which was impact? And I know over the years, one of the things that you and I have diligently worked on is how to reduce travel, just knowing the physical toll that it takes on us when our circadian rhythm is constantly disrupted. So now this purposefulness of trying, you know, we tried to group places together and limit the number of time zone changes you had to make. And I can see now in the future that we could get even smarter about that, which is really cool. But it all comes back to this concept of energy, which you mentioned. So we talked about how you start your day. And then you talked about that you take this hour for lunch. And I think people think that, you because you know who you are and how successful you are that you don't have these energy dips through the day and tell me do you have any strategies that you're applying throughout the day that maybe recharge you give you that emotional and cognitive recovery that you need and allow you again to refocus on your impact
1: yeah it's been interesting this is a great great question and and i've had to yeah keep keep adjusting and learning as your as your home on your own often and uh some of the things that I've realized is to turn off the video camera and then go for a walk outside while I'm on these calls. There's this kind of expectation that you you do everything now as a video call. And you think about it, many of these things used to be teleconferences without video calls, and we've turned everything into a video call. And I do think there's a cognitive and emotional drain of being on camera, somebody who lives much of their life on camera. So that's one simple thing gets me outside. Um, gets, me, gets me walking. I use the breathing techniques, meditation techniques uh, as well when I'm feeling particularly um, worn down uh, during you know, long days of, of long meetings. Uh, I've learned to, to really adjust. my. It's such a little thing, but it, it helps. You know, Spending a few hours standing, a few hours sitting, turn off the camera, Sometimes I lie on the floor, but I'm still, still on the call. But just adjusting your body position can make such a, such a big difference. And probably the biggest takeaway is I'm just constantly experimenting, constantly trying to tweak and adjust and see what, what works.
0: Yeah, same, same concept, Tom, huh? this constant evolution. You're not gonna be perfect at it. It must be interesting, um, for most of us, we would go to work and work was a mystery to our family, especially our kids. They had no idea what we did, what, you know. So when we came home tired or frustrated or whatever happened, they had no idea. How has it changed your relationship with your sons and maybe even with Trisha your wife, that now, you know, they see you work all day. They know exactly what's happening. And does that lead to some interesting conversations? It does. It does. And I think because we're all home, they know much more about what I do than ever before, the tough decisions,
1: the... The fun meetings. Uh, they, it's interesting because I'm where I'm standing right now is where I'll do a CNBC or a Bloomberg uh, uh, earnings broadcast or an interview with CNN, and they get to see all of that. So that all becomes very demystified because later on we'll watch the video and they'll be like, "Hey, that's that's my bedroom," or "Hey, that's that's our kitchen." <laughs> and, and, that's, <laughs> and I think that really uh, is really demystified, but I think it's created a, a much stronger connection. Uh, between me and them in general, all, all three of them, uh, and they also see how much my work means to me and uh, and how, how dedicated I am to it, which also I think is an incredible
0: lesson for them. Yeah, it's a great benefit or side effect, a positive side effect of this kind of work-life freedom and work-life impact, actually just looking at where we can make the biggest impact, because the irony of what you just discussed is you also now have a window into what they do at school. (laughs) And you didn't used to have that. Like you were like, they go to some invisible place and come home smarter, but what happens? Now that probably has great conversations around that too.
1: Absolutely. And also all the different video games they've learned to play as well. So there's many learnings, many learnings all around. But uh, it's been good. I mean, I have to say as well, we've had a really great rhythm at home. It took us a while, but I think that's been another... Nice thing to see. It shows you how also adaptable human beings are. We we eventually, if we work at it, can figure out figure out new rhythms.
0: Yeah. So I think there's so many takeaways, and I really thank you for the time and and I always love your vulnerability that you're willing to share with people. You know that you're also on the journey, and um, that's one of the problems I think is now because COVID, the finish line has been moved so many times. There's so many unknowns that people are looking for just a definitive answer, but the, the truth is, as you said so so well, we don't have that answer. So let's just keep working towards making the biggest impact, being the person we want to be, being energy multipliers, and as you would say in, in Novartis, you know, reimagining medicine so we can touch many more lives. I think that's, that's really, really cool.
1: Yeah, great to be here, Scott. Thank, thanks so much for the invitation. And for all the, all the listeners, we're all works in progress. We're all you know, working, working to, to figure out working in this, living in this really complex world. But uh, I remain incredibly optimistic and hopeful that through this, we're gonna end up actually as a smarter, wiser society, and also appreciating the power of science to impact
0: human life. Thank you so much, Voss. So now, as you digest so many great things that Voss shared with us about work-life freedom and about the impact we can make and about overcoming our guilt, I'd love to leave you with a few questions to maybe reflect upon that help you use that information to actually make a bigger impact in your life and in those around you. What freedoms has your current work, actually your situation and whether it's distributed or whether it's some type of hybrid, but... What type of freedoms has it actually opened up for you? Things that maybe you're not taking advantage of. I'd also love you to think back about and reflect upon, where's guilt holding you back? You know, where is this inner dialogue that maybe needs to be reframed actually holding you back because the story you're telling yourself is more around guilt and not feeling like you're, you're quite bringing what you need, whether at work or in other areas of your life. So how are the stories that are going on in your head helping you or holding you back? And how can you reframe them? The other is, how do we recognize short-termism? You know, we're in a situation, it's not going to last forever, but our brain starts to look at it and think, this is the way it's going to always be. And therefore, it not only creates its own story, it sucks our energy, but it almost also prevents us from thinking, where are the real solutions? How could I do things differently? So maybe you want to reflect a little bit on, am I having short-termism thinking? And then finally, what is the future of work that you want to create for yourself? We don't know what's coming post-COVID. We don't know what 2021 will bring to us. But we do know that the future of work will be different than the way we've always done in the past. Create it for you. What would ideal be for you? How could you actually use the freedoms that the future will provide to make the biggest impact? So apply your Tignam strategies of reframing, building in recovery, taking ownership of your mindset killers, and learning how to rule your impact so that you can continue not to be a victim of this work-life guilt that we discussed, but actually take advantage of the work-life freedom. Hope this was helpful, and I hope you have a great day.